0: The head, and not the tail. Yeah, no, it's um, no, kind of what you am saying. Blessing in Deuteronomy isn't it? You're, you're to be the head, and not the tail. So, how hard was that to begin? Um, it all comes down to that going to the cross. Stuff I spoke on yesterday, and the, to me, there are certain things. If you are prepared to go to the cross over certain issues, like building your home culture on a biblical basis, which means extended family, not nuclear family, it means a culture where you're. Um, I think where you're vulnerable with your kids, you know. So, um, you know, I had a, I had a history. Uh, I thought, well, I'm a Christian at 18, and before I was um, a Christian, got really into pornography. But didn't think it was there's anything wrong with that. Everybody I knew, all the other guys I knew, was were into it. care a Christian. Suddenly started feeling guilty about it. Thinking, hang on, what's that? And obviously well, it's the Holy Spirit saying that's not right. And thought like, right, well, I obviously need to stop doing that. And then found out that was harder than I thought, and there was an addiction there. Really. And um, and then went through this period of time where the Lord kind of schooled me out of it and um, teaching me all sorts of things. You know, where He says, if your eye causes you to sin, cast it out. If your hand calls you to sin, cast it off. He wasn't telling me to literally mutilate my body, but um, but. Um, uh, learning that if I looked at something, if I, you know, if I happened to see something or looked at something I shouldn't or whatever, um, that it wasn't just about con- well, first thing was only confession. So actually finding some people that also wanted to free of that stuff, that I'd actually confess it, and uh, and, uh, make, and my wife you knew about this this weakness within me and all those sorts of things. So confession, but then repentance, which is um, if I if I looked at something, not just saying sorry to God, but um, actually, shutting down that access. Yeah. So, I mean, I walk free of it now, uh, uh, but I, I wouldn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I've got so many layers of software and everything I've got because of the internet. Um, it keeps me, keeps me safe. It stops me from. I mean, it means I don't even really experience temptation because it's hard to be tempted if there's no opportunity. Yeah. But my daughters are saying when they've got to about, I don't know, twelve, thirteen. They're saying, "Why have we got all this software and everything? Don't you trust us?" And so I said, it's not I don't trust you, it's that I don't trust me. And we had a conversation about it. And it's really interesting because one of my daughters that year later came to us, my wife and I, to talk about sexual temptation that she was facing. And then uh, we were able to disciple her through that. And I was really amazed. I mean, how many 13-year-old girls would come and talk to their mum and dad about sexual temptation stuff? And I said to her, well, why it's great you've come talk to us, but why did you feel confident? She said, Well, you've talked to me about yours, so why wouldn't I talk to you about mine? And I think sometimes in a family culture we can think that our, our job is to be a perfect example to our kids. Actually, our job is to be a living example. We we have to actually show them our brokenness. Because otherwise, how are they going to learn to deal with brokenness? You know, and, and I think it's it, it's the same actually when we're trying to reach out to people who don't know the Lord. If we if we try to um, to uh, show them a perfect example, what we show them is an example that doesn't really have integrity. Yeah. And uh, Jesus shines through the cracks, and it's as we're vulnerable and open with people, they can actually see the Lord working in us. So it's an important thing there, isn't it? I'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, So I think, yeah, those things are really important. So I think it's the multiple role models, I think it's the culture of vulnerability. Uh, we have this culture of choice as well, so we would... Um, so we we said to a group when we came to the US, we said to girls... Do we think a lot well, they were like, we're not, it's probably pros and cons, we don't, personally, there's some exciting things about it, some things we don't like about it, we don't really know, because we've not been there, uh, in terms of what God was saying, they both felt God was saying we should do it, and so, when we went, there's a sense of family omission, of all of us together making decisions, so when things have been tough over the last couple of years, they're not blaming us, you know, we're in it together, does that make sense? If they've really said no, then we may not have gone, I mean, because we, we feel like there had to be, especially now that the age that are out, which is becoming adults, we, we felt there had to be that thing. When we did the thing where we gave our money away, Grace at that time was seven. We sat down at the table, kitchen table. I remember it very well. and said, Grace, we feel like we want to go on a little faith journey where we give all of our money away. That means we won't have any money to buy sweets or nice things or even food or anything, unless God gives it to us. Um, and uh, we want to do it because we want to renew our trust in God. And... Um, and um, Jesus said that if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, you don't have to worry about those things that give it to you. But um, it will affect you too. So we once wanted to ask you what do you think about that. And she thought about it. She said, wait down on bed. She got down from the kitchen table, went upstairs, came back with her purse with her pocket money in it, gave it to us and said, I think we should do it. You know, and, um, and because she was part of that, so I think faith journeys are a big important thing. Don't you have to do them all the time? You know, the people of Israel were told by God, to do a Sabbath year, yeah, they did a Jubilee year every seven years, and then every seven sevens they had the full Jubilee, didn't they? And the Sabbath year was you don't plant, you don't, you basically live by faith for a year. And do you know how many? Do you know how many times Israel did that in the history of Israel? Yeah. Not once. They did not do it once. And, and when they were sent into exile, God said to them. I'm sending you into exile until the land has had rest for all of the accumulated one year's acceptance that you never took. So they're actually exiled because of that. And if you think about the history of Israel, there's a whole history of the parents have an inc- incredible encounter with God, see God do amazing things, they walk with God the rest of their life. The kids kind of do, it's probably a bit more legalistic, they didn't experience themselves, but they believe in the parents. The grandchildren, by that time they're beginning to run after the gods of the land. Yeah, And, and because you can't Follow God just on someone else's experience—you have to experience it for yourself. So part of the imitation is immersion. You have to actually another inward. You have to get you have to get people immersed in this stuff. And I—I I mean, this is just my little thing. And you can decide what you me. I actually think that probably the main reason that the people of Israel kept falling away was because they didn't do that one year in seven. is if they had, every single generation would see for themselves that God could provide. Yeah. You know, a few years after we'd done the money thing, Ellie and I—we uh, had a tight. Uh, a kind of tight financial situation, and it's a bit stressful. And we were in the kitchen having a conversation about money. Yeah. And Grace walked in, she was probably about 9 or 10 by then, and she, she listened to us and she said, and Dad, why are you arguing about money? I said, what do you mean? She said, she actually said this, she said, did you, did you learn nothing from what we did? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she said, you tell me he's got faithful, isn't he? They said yeah, it's faithful. but she said, "Well, why are you worried about it?" Again? <laughs> yeah. and we're like, "You're right." Yeah. You know, and it's actually, I feel like we gave them a real gift yeah. we did that thing together because hey, it's part. Once something's part of your charted, it's just normal, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And what we've said as a family is that we aim to. Do, you know, it's not a legalistic thing, but maybe about one year and seven, we want to go on some sort of voyage. So said the last one eight years ago was a money thing. Now this one, this this time has been going to America. Basically, we left everything behind. All our furniture, we just went with some suitcases. It, it's been a year of faith. I didn't have a salary when we got there. Been trusting God provision. originally had to provide us with twenty-five grand extra. I mean, you know, and we've all been involved in that. The whole family's been praying about that. And we've seen God provide. So they're seeing it with their own eyes. Yeah? So, yeah, it's, um, it's a big deal, isn't it? Let's, um, let's just think about Jesus' model. So, you, you, so, first of all, you've got this lifestyle going yeah. And by the way, the other thing about predictable patterns is this. If you meet somebody that you're supposed to disciple, you don't have to create space for them in order to spend time with them. Your predictable patterns have already created the space. The last thing you need if you're not an evangelist, the last thing you need are extra barriers to stop you discipling people. Yeah. You actually need a system in place where all you have to do is tag someone and think, that person feels like the person that wants me to disciple them. And immediately, you've got everything in place to make it easy. Including, at least one or two other people who who are up for it with you. Yeah? Do you see what I'm saying? The last thing you have to do is think, well, I kind of think I should disciple them, but that means I'm going to do this, I've got to find an extra evening, I've got to do blah, 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 blah. It's just like, when's it ever going to happen? We've got enough on our plate already. Yeah? So we have to find a way to incorporate discipleship into our everyday lives. And one of the best ways I've got to do that is predictable patterns. Sorry, before we get up to the 10. Spiritual parenting. You could fit this on a triangle, surprisingly, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Predictable patterns. And the other one would be or purpose. Spiritual parenting, I'll load it up here, shall I? So, spiritual parents. Predictable patterns. Purpose, and that is w- with that you get family ambition. Yeah, I think a lot of us try to do, um, you know, uh, family family ambition, yeah. family life, and you've got your mission, and the two things are not that connected, and it's really busy. It'll kill you in the yeah. end. Yeah, really, really hard. Yeah. Or I mean, the old-time missionary model was family or mission. Mm-hmm. So you can have a family, or you can go off and be a missionary. I mean, I, you know, I remember reading incredibly in, inspirational book about um, the um, Intercessor Reese House. No Any of you read that? Yeah. It's a brilliant book. It might be out of print now. But it's called Reese House and Intercessor by Norman yeah. Grubb. It's an amazing book. Yeah. But I remember when when he became a missionary, when he and his wife became missionaries, they gave their kids to their to <coughs> their in-laws, what their kids. They gave it to England, they their it was faithful in he really coming through and joining it, but that's family or mission, yeah? And then, uh, most of us don't do that, most of us do family and mission, so we go through our mission and we come back to our family. I think if we, wanna, if we want our kids to be with us, we have to learn to do family or mission. It means the kids have to be part of those decisions and part of those conversations. And there'll be times where they're part of the mission that you're spearheading, and times that you're part of the mission that they're spearheading, right? I think for a lot of families who have teenage kids, if the kids know the Lord, Um, I think it's a completely acceptable thing, and actually often a strategic thing, for the whole family to gear around the non-Christian friends of the kids. Um, You know, I think it's actually a time, if you can afford it, to invest in cool equipment and gear at your house. You know, like, if they're trying to... You know what I'm saying? I mean, why does it always have to not be fun, you know? So, you really want your... You know, the the flesh would like your kids to go to other people's houses because then you can relax and rest but actually as a Christian household what you really want is all the other kids coming to your house because then you can disciple you see what I'm saying so so, um, we've had certainly seasons where the mission is uh, the kids friends and seasons now we've intentionally moved to a house that we just bought um, six weeks ago with friends next door, that's why we bought it another family living opposite So there's three church families all living right next door to each other. We specifically moved there because we're trying to reach that neighbourhood. We felt like the Lord was saying, reach a neighbourhood, so we thought, well, where are there some other Christians who want to reach their neighbourhood, and perhaps we can move there? So we moved house. Moving house was easy because we've gone to the cross over the issue of housing. It's not easy if you haven't. That's like, you know when I said it's all in the preparation? There are certain things here. (coughs) If you've gone to the cross over sharing your life with other people, having people in and out of your house, having people live with you, whatever it is. You might not be able to have people living with you if your house isn't big enough, but you can do something, you know, shared life. If you've gone to the cross over the issue of shared life, it becomes easier. If you've gone to the cross over the issue of where you live, it becomes easier. If you've gone to the cross over putting in predictable patterns so that when you meet somebody that you want to disciple, it all just fits in with the life you've already got, it gets easier. And it's all like you're trying to do this DIY job and you haven't done any preparation, it's a nightmare. If it's all in place, it suddenly becomes easy. I mean we really haven't as a family had problem bringing people to face, we brought tons of people to face over the years. And I'm not gonna just that's all. Why is it? Because it's set up to win. But you do have to go to the, you have to pull down some of those strongholds in order to set out. up. What what would be the strongholds for you just as I'm talking? Just have a think. What what are the what are the things that you're thinking, well actually that's pretty important to me that I have this freedom or you know? I don't think um uh, I don't think an Englishman's hope is this class is one of the proverbs, I think it's probably not in the Bible. You know? <laughs> so, so what would it be? If I'm an introvert, so having people to live with us is quite a big deal, um, but you know, um, bringing people to the Lord and discipling people is a bigger deal, isn't it? What would it be for you, what would be the, would be the challenge about getting the kind of lifestyle that's going to set it up for you to win when you disciple? what would be the area where you'd have to go to the cross. Be- We're thinking about it. Evenings isn't to ourselves. <coughs> Sorry? Evenings to ourselves. Evenings to ourselves, that's a big deal, isn't yeah. it? And the thing is that sometimes the enemy will tell you that you're giving up something completely which actually you're just giving to the Lord. You're not necessarily completely getting rid of it. So we have plenty of evenings to ourselves, but we uh but this not just on all the evenings, you know. Uh, there are some times where we um, sometimes where we would say to the people in the house, we just need some time as a family tonight, that okay? And they say fine. What we did was we got rid of our dining room, um, and instead we turned it into another sitting room. We were lucky that we had two rooms. We turned our dining room into a sitting room with another TV, another sofa, and everything. So we had to eat around this tiny little kitchen table, which was a bit of a pain, but the advantage was if we needed some family time, we're not relegating everyone else in the house to their bedrooms. It feels like we. So, our houses from, from then on, from when we started doing this onwards, have always. Part of it going the going to the crossroads is that we set up the whole house around a more of an extended family lifestyle, um, rather than just around the nuclear family lifestyle, if that makes sense. We're actually, this next year, we're not going to have anyone living with us. For the first time we've intentionally done that 20 years of marriage. And the reason is that it's such an alien concept to Americans that it's not a model that anybody can copy. It's way too hard for them. And we're, we're, we're now working on how do you reach an American suburb, which is a little bit different from me, but we're learning it by doing it, because that's what you do, isn't it? And, and, and we, but we're thinking, as we do it, we have to, it has to be a model that other people can copy. And so a model where you've got two or three young adults living with you, they're never going to, it's just, it's out of reach. So we're, we're actually having to dial it back so that it's something that people can imitate, if that makes sense. So that's a sense of loss for us now, after all the years of having people live with us. It feels like a sense of loss to not have it, but we're okay with it because we feel that's sort of the same. Mm. What would you say to young people who are like struggling we like, money together for like a time like, flat? Wh- what does it look like when you've intentionally chosen to live in the right and city where property is? So, yeah, yeah that's, that's hard. And what I would say is that um, uh, I, usually there are two components to getting these basic foundations in place. Mm. One of them is going to the cost yourself and the other one is getting spiritual breakthrough that was hard for the other family because they had to drop one of their kids' sports to do it, the real sacrifice. Um, but, at that point, from the point that we decided we needed to try and do this, took us about six or seven months. So it was quite a substantial battle just to get the things in place to be able to do it. So you fight that battle first. D- does that make sense? Okay, so uh, here's the strategy. So you get the things in place and here's the strategy for the disciples. That's so it's Luke 10, um, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two yeah, sorry, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Notice two by two, you know that thing I said yesterday, sent two disciples even to go and get a uh, donkey? It, it, you know, two is a big number in, in the kingdom, I think, because it's the minimum operating number. You know, whenever two or more go, I'm there with you. It's a, it's a big deal, that, because we have a very individualistic mindset often, I think. He told them, the harvest is dispensable, but the workers of you. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. So how did they feel going out? Did they feel confident and uh, excited and strong, or did they feel weak and vulnerable? Well, go. I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. I think that kind of sums it up. So if we're going out feeling very vulnerable, we should take some things to make us to bolster our confidence, and we should go <coughs> to a position of strength, shouldn't we? You, um, if, if you're supposed to be going out looking for disciples, and you sit on the... Loo with your phone. That's it. It's over. I mean, you know, because um, it will be three hours later before you emerge from the bathroom. So, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. In the Jewish culture, that was a norm. Shalom. Yeah. So, peace to this house. Um, and, of course, Jesus is using the cultural norms here, which is Israel was a was a nation, but was also a family. Yeah. And there was a there was a, a norm amongst kind of. Uh, pious Jews, you know, practicing Jews would be, if, a, if someone from a different city or, or town is passing through your town, and they need someone to stay for the night, because they're family as well as nation you should invite them to stay with you so Jesus is using that kind of tradition, so you say peace to this house if someone who promotes peace is there, that's where the expression person and peace has come from from us um, your peace will rest on them if not it will return to you So for me, what that looks like in our setting is you just be yourself, which is a thing of integrity which includes talking about the Lord and what the Lord's doing in your life. Uh, uh, Stay there eating, drinking, whatever they give you for the work that wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. He'll just sit here and tell them the kingdom of God has come in. So people please welcome you, listen to you, and serve you. They welcome you, listen to you, and serve you. And you come vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think often as Christians, we feel like we need to come as the strong ones with all, everything to offer. But you know, Jesus said um, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over other people and call themselves benefactors. You are not to be like that. Benefactors are the ones that have all the resources, and out of their kindness, they share it with you, and in, in return, you become dependent on them. Yeah? Jesus said, don't do it like that. Go vulnerable. So there's a big deal there. So one of the um, one of the things for us is, um, uh, if, if someone asks you if you need help as a Christian, we'll always say yes. It's very unEnglish. Oh no, thank you. That's really kind trying of to do with our fight. No, yes, please help me. I need help. Yeah, there, there might be a person of peace. We we did a lot of stuff uh, back in the kind of 2000. We did a lot of stuff all over Sheffield uh, doing certain evangelism. Do, do you know what I mean when I say that? You know, where you basically do access service and all that kind of stuff. It's the kind of stuff we did in the Hope, when the hope <coughs> stuff was going on and all that. And uh, we did tons of that, because the church had got a bit of a bad press. Um, you know, uh, back when we were in the parish church, I mean, there were like, I don't know, 500 cars on a Sunday, blocking every street. You know, people didn't like it. So we went out to the community and started serving. And I remember one time, one of the things we did was, we did a free car wash on a Saturday morning in a car park, we got permission from the landlord to, to do it. And we just washed it give people a little thing, saying, "This is just a just a little token to show you that God loves you. No strings attached. So that was that what we did. So we're out there, obviously, you don't have to be a person of peace to want someone to wash the car for free. So there's plenty of people who will take advantage of that, and we are coming in and washing the cars. Partway through, the son of the landlord came out, a young man in his kind of early place, and said, oh, what, what are you lot doing? And uh, he told us who he was. We said, well, your dad said we could use the car. We're coming the church up the road there. We... We just thought we wanted to serve people and, you know, wash their cars for them, just as an act of service. And and he said, no, that's amazing. He said, "Um, oh, he said, can I give some money to the church fund or something? Um, And we said, no, we're not taking any money, this is to serve, you know. And um, he was like, oh. He said, well, I really like what you're doing. And so then he went back in, and then he came back out with a crate of beer, bottles of beer, yeah. It's 11 o'clock in the morning, church folks, you know. he went, you lot serving the community, you must be thirsty, you know. And, um, you know, some of the folks are looking at me and I saying, he's a person of peace, drink at the end. I mean, no I could a but we are this, and he ended up coming into church and ends up becoming a Christian that night. yeah? So you're doing this stuff, aren't you? And you're serving people, and that's why we should serve people, but while you serve them, you're looking for the people who welcome you, listen to you, and serve you, yeah? It's a really important deal that. And, um... And then there's two phases. There's a searching phase, and then there's a "do not move around from house to house" phase. So you're looking for people of peace. So at the moment we're um, we, we've gone round. We, we're in this community. We've got the right things in place. So we've now got two other families with kids. We're all doing this together. We've got a regular Friday night. We eat together. We see each other pretty much every day. We try to pray with each other briefly at least every day. A couple of times a week we'll probably get together for maybe 20 minutes at the end of the evening and have a glass of wine together and just chat or whatever. Um, but we've got that one predictable thing which we always do, which is we always eat together. And actually, America is massively into ice cream, much more than Britain, I think, probably because they have much more to science. And so one thing we do is we eat together, and then when we have our tub where we share, we actually go out on the front porch. There's a, there's a folk history in America the front porch, which nobody does anymore, but a lot of houses have the front porch, and we just saw that as a great little cultural artifact that we can recapture for the gospel. Because when you talk to older folks, they say, oh, it's a shame that we don't have a front porch culture anymore. So we're like, we're the head, not the tail. We, as Christians, get to create culture. We don't have to do the culture everyone else does, except world says. We make a culture. Yeah. We have the authority from Jesus to make a culture. We're going to occupy what we own. So we basically now, for pudding, or dessert, as they'd say, we, um, we go out on the porch and have ice cream while we do that. The reason we did that was because for an American, going to someone's house to have dinner with them is quite a big deal. If you're going to know someone, you go out to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eating out costs about half what it costs here. And fresh food and vegetables cost about double. So it's like often cheaper to go to a cheap restaurant than it is to cook. And they're all crazy busy, so that they, so they don't really have much time. So they go to restaurants. So actually it's quite a big deal to go to somebody's house. Um, so we felt we wanted to create a stepping stone of a regular engagement It wasn't quite as much as that. They'd feel more comfortable about coming sitting on the porch of the sounding ice cream. So we've got these windows going. Yeah. But now we're in the looking phase, the knock on the doors and say peace phase. And what we did was, we literally just went and knocked on the door. So we got a Google map of the street. And American houses, the, the gardens don't have um, fences. And they run into each other. So it's like you live in a bit of parkland, really. So your garden runs straight into the neighbour's garden, opposite you. So you actually see the people on the street behind you more than you see the people on your own street, because they're all out in the garden in the summer, yeah? So we did our own street and the street that we back onto, which is a total of 50 houses. And we went around door to door, to every house, really countercultural in America, no one knocks on each other's doors. but we we could get away with it because we're Brits. So we, we knocked on the door and basically said, we need your we neighbours, We've just moved really in. we're over there, just thought we'd come and say hi and introduce ourselves. So they look a bit suspicious and then they get talking and they quite like the fact they know who their neighbour is now, yeah, it's all fine. And, um, so, and then we get their names and um, we wrote all the names down. So now we've got our Google map with the top down of every house. We've got the names of every single family on 50 houses. We know all the names of everybody. We sit out in the garden. And Ellie and I play a game where she'll point to different houses and we'll say the names of the people living there, yeah? And then we're then what you do is, what these guys do is house to house, we cast the net wide, yeah? So we we, we had an event, we, we said we're going to have an event which is a get to know you with the new neighbours, and uh, we thought, you know, if you've if you got it, use it. So we said we're going to do an English cream tea, mm-hmm. yeah? And we're going to do it in our garden, so we prayed that the weather would be good, which it was. And we went round back to all the... houses. Ha- Neighborhood for twenty years they're meeting each other for the first time. So even if they're not yeah. going to become Christians, it's still a win for them, isn't it? Yeah. Because and the, the big one that we haven't seen is it was really important that our kids got to meet all the other kids because now that the kids have got into this habit. We feel a bit bad about being away in the UK for a while because the kids have got into this habit of playing ball games and things out in the street with the teenagers and the younger kids, which is fantastic because then there's all this interaction going on. Yeah. Um, and then we had a talk afterwards and we were trying to identify we could identify, we thought, at least two couples who we think they're real people of peace. they want to us. They want to know us better. One of them was as rough as they can. I mean, they weren't the obvious people. I mean, this guy was covered in sailor's tattoos from head to foot. Uh, they weren't married, so they're living together. I mean, it's just an interesting couple. Total people of peace. Uh, they brought a card with them with a Home depot, which is American B and Q, um, gift card. In they are the only ones that gave us a gift. Welcome you listen to your survey. You. It's interesting, isn't it? So we know that that's one, that's one couple, and there's a couple of others. Um, so then the opposite who've just moved in moved in last week are going to do it. And together we're working out who are the people of peace. And, um, so we, we go through a phase of looking wide. And then once you've found some people, you narrow it down and you go through the face. Now, the face of looking wise is where the evangelists shine. Evangelists find it a bit more difficult to go <laughs> deep roots rather than wide. Um, but actually, that's where some other people shine. So, I mean, you can all work together with the different ministries, can't you? Uh, when you enter a town of welcome, eat what's offered to you. he the stick you there and tell them the kingdom of God come near you. So, supernatural stuff. Really important. It speaks way louder than words. So we definitely will be praying for people as they get sick and so on. And we'll be praying for each other. And if you've already gone through the process of preparing for to persevere and had some breaks in that area, then it's even easier. If not, just start doing it. You know, Jesus said, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I mean, that's what we've got to do, isn't it? So keep on asking. You're praying in your own room, or whatever. Lord, I'd like to see more healing. You know, I'd like to see people healed. Keep on seeking. Read the books, watch the videos, go to the conferences. Find people who see more healing than you do and ask them what they do. I mean, you know, it's like the pilgrimage component, you seek, yeah? Knock, the active component. Every time someone ask if you can break them. That's how you persevere. Yeah? You ask. I sometimes people say to me, I've been persevering for years, never got a breakthrough. But when I ask them, often they've maybe persevered in asking, but not seeking and knocking. Jesus told us to do all three. And the tense is a continuous tense if you look in the Greek. He doesn't say asking or receive, he says keep on asking and receive keep on seeking your advice, keep on <coughs> kind of the door will be open to you. Yeah? So you do that first, praise the um and so the kingdom of God come near to you and then um, if you're not welcomed, um, that's what you think. so for me as a non-evangelist, this is great because I'm not trying to convince people to believe what I believe, all I'm trying to do is find people who want me to share life with them and disciple them. Yeah? And if they don't the great thing is, I always have the same agenda as the person I'm talking to. If they want me to disciple them, I want to disciple them. If they don't want me to disciple them, I don't want to disciple them. It's fine, yeah. But I'm going to keep looking until I find someone do. yeah. Now, if you're an evangelist, that is not that. You can do that too, but that's not necessarily directed to you because to me, evangelists have a particular ministry, which is they can take people who aren't interested and they can turn it round. Um, it's a, I don't know what that is, I can't do it, but it's amazing. And uh, and what I would say is if you're trying to build an active community of people, get together with some friends, if you can, if there's at least one of just in the mix, it makes life way easier. Because there will come a point, as you're discipling people, where you have to actually ask the question, you know, it's time, is it time for you to make a decision to follow Jesus? And um, a lot of people, particularly if you're more kind of pastor, you know, pastoral, um, find that really difficult. You yeah, it's probably a stronghold. It's great if you've got some people in the mix who really, you know, are are, are happy to help with that stuff and do those things. And it's great for them too because when someone does come to faith, um, they don't have to keep looking after them. There's plenty of other people around. They can go and find some others. Mm -hmm. So there's a summary. Go with others. Cast a wide net to look for people. Find people of peace who welcome, serve, and listen to you. Share your life with them and share your faith with them. That's like praying for them and and, uh, that kind of stuff. And. um, and uh, what you basically do over time is um you, you the picture for me is a bit like um is a bit like a funnel. Um I'll just leave that up in case anyone wants to get that get that down off If any by well, if you want to copy this stuff, I can email it to you. But um I'll just let you take that, Vicky. Oh, <coughs> you're gonna do that Okay, good. Are we ready? Are we okay to go on? Yeah. Great. So um, I'm not gonna do that now. That's Paul. I was gonna go, I was gonna, if I had time I was gonna talk about Paul and how he did the same principle. By the way, um, when Paul I'll just give you this, when Paul went to Philippi and met Lydia, the purple cloth dealer, yeah? Uh, who was not a uh, Jew, and that's what we know, and um and uh, he had a real dilemma, which was, um, he had Luke with him, who wrote that, who also wrote what the passage we just read. So Luke, who'd been, who'd, who'd, who'd written about Jesus and knew about what Jesus did, and, it seems to me, taught Paul the people of peace strategy. And then the person of peace is a woman fashion person, yeah, with a house of presumably female slaves modelling her purple garments. And Paul has a real dilemma, because he's a conservative Jew, yeah. where men and women are together, she says, stay at my house, which is scandalous for a Jewish rabbi. And it's interesting that when he's faced between those two things, Paul chooses the, chooses the strategy of Jesus. They choose to stay there anyway, don't they? Because the people of peace principle is more important than his religious kind of uh, things. Interesting, isn't it? And so the first Church of Europe gets established. You know, by, uh, by a woman. So, so, um, so that's uh, a, that's, uh, you know, well, it's just good, isn't it? Yeah? I, don't, I just think it's worth mentioning that, don't you? But, do, you know that, do you know the whole men women thing, by the way? When, when you're coming from a reformed tradition, it's, it's tricky because I think that what we've done is we've equated headship with leadership instead of with family, and it causes a huge problem. Because if you equate it with headship, then what you're saying is men can be leaders and women can't which I don't think is at all good at the I mean, there's women deacons in the Bible, there's Priscilla and Aquila, she's spoken on further, It's all the way through, there's women doing all sorts of things. Um, but partly I think it's the wrong metaphor, because when you're talking about family, it's simple. Yeah. If you're family, you need a mother and a father. And they're both leadership roles, they're different roles, they're not exactly the same, but you need both. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it kind of like, to me, once you're thinking of church as family again, it sorts out all those sorts of mm-hmm. issues that we get ourselves tied up over. Does that make sense? So, uh, yeah. So, using... Um, so, um, all I'd say is that Paul, he did all that stuff and then he ended up in Corrid and Exodus and basically what he did was he, he cast the wide not by going door to door in this instance he did go door to door sometimes but um, he, he did the lecture of tyrannous thing, didn't he? Where basically he just did like amazing um, preaching you know at lunchtime probably or during the siesta hours and tons of people gathered to hear him. He's casting the net wide again. Yeah, he's not trying to he's not trying to just he's trying to make disciples not just bring people to faith. So you cast the net wide many believe. And during that time it says the whole of Asia Minor came under the gospel and we know from other writers that there were multiple teams being sent out there. We know that that's what Paul did because it's what he did all the way up until there. He went out he'd find some people Timothy. the There's Silas, Timothy, others. He'd gather them, uh, he'd he'd live life on life with them, and together they'd go and do this stuff, and then he'd deploy them. He'd recruit them, he'd train them, he'd deploy them. Um, You know, so, Priscilla and Aquila, he lives life with them, they do tent making together in Corinth, then he deploys them to Ephesus. Do you see what I mean? There's this process where you do some time together and then you deploy them. And he's doing that during that time. And then, uh, when the time is time to go, he takes a, a key team with him, which includes Timothy Tychius, Trophimus, and And what I'd say is that what you're basically doing is you start wide, you're just doing something that lots of people like. Right along, we did our first managers, and that's casting the net wide, isn't it? But you're looking for people who welcome you, listen to you, and serve you. And then what you do is you increase the invitation and the challenge. Yeah. So you say, you know, would you like to come for dinner? Let's hang out together or something. You know? Or someone at work you say, It'd be great to meet outside of work sometime, wouldn't it, just so we could hang out a bit more? Or you say, What's the next step is always the question on the discipleship path? But the next step might be it's time for you to give a testimony, tell the God story. Or it might be that the next step is not to pray for them when they're going through something difficult. Or it might be that the next step you really pray for them, the next step is to pray with them. Or it might be the next step is for you to be vulnerable and tell them about some brokenness and struggle in your life, so that you've got a relationship that has integrity, which you need if you, someone's going to receive Jesus' you. Do you see what I mean? And, and what we would often do in our groups, maybe about once a month, a small group kind of size, we'd say, sit around once a month and just talk about who your people of peace are, and if you don't have a person of peace, everyone else in the group should be committing to pray to you that God will show you a person, at least one person of peace. If you do have a person of peace, you should tell everyone who your person of peace is. Everyone else in your small group writes their name down in their prayer journal or whatever, and commits to pray to them every day. And then, and then basically about once a month you have a conversation which is where, where is that person of peace up to and what's the next step in discipleship you need to take them on yeah? <coughs> you might say well you know, um, uh, Rob from work is the person, I, I know when I came to work he was the one that really helped me and served me and so on and I, I, he asked me what I'd done over the weekend I told him i had gone to church, it didn't freak him out and we had a little conversation so I think he's the person of peace so everyone's looking log down and they're praying to now every every uh, week every you know every day ideally but a few times a week. So we can carry on with your small group life. Um, uh, a, a, a month later, we're going to have a bit of time talking about our people of peace. Um, Paul, how's it going with well? Rob? Yeah, fine. I mean, I feel like you know he is a person of peace and talked a bit. Haven't really talked about God well again, but um, yeah, you know, hasn't really moved on. But you know, okay, Paul, what's the next step that you need to take Rob on in discipleship? And, and don't just necessarily leave a vacuum you can say some steps you know is it that you need to talk to him a bit about what God's done in your life is it that you need to be vulnerable with him is it that you need to actually get build a relationship so it's not just at work is it that you whatever is it that it's time you to spend some time with more Christians than just you so we're going to cancel our small group next week and go to the cinema so that he can come I don't know I mean I'm making this up but you know what I'm saying yeah and, um, and then a month later they're going to say that thing that you said that was the next step have you done it yet yeah so there's an accountability that we're actually discipling people. And uh, we found using the language of people of is really helpful because um, what you don't want is secret language. So if, someone, if Rob comes into the group, what he finds is that we are a group of people who are committed to discipling each other and that we also will disciple anyone else who wants us to. And, um, and the fact that he's here with us um, did, he, did he know that the Bible's got a name for people like him, really, have they? Yes, it's called People of Peace someone who doesn't necessarily know God or, but is open and interested and it's it's cool, it's much better than a free Christian isn't it, or non-Christian yeah. it? you know what I'm saying, don't you, yeah it's an honouring title, isn't it and I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm just saying that's what we did, and we had different things coming as well and so actually what we're trying to do is draw people into a shorter and shorter orbit into your life so a long orbit might just be you know, every so often, occasionally you mm-hmm. connect with someone. The medium orbit maybe is, maybe, you know, once in a month they're doing something with your connecting with you. By the time you're short orbit, you're probably talking, like, weekly and connecting at a deeper level, and you, you know. And if you've got regular meal times, a really short orbit would represent, be represented perhaps in your home, by people coming regularly and sharing in that. I mean, we've had people who come twice a week. We had a couple down the road from us, who were a very broken couple there. They got married after meeting in a psychiatric institution where they were both sectioned at the time. So that gives you some idea. And it's not exactly, you know, the easiest start to marriage, is it? And um, and, uh, and they, were, you know, they were, quite broken people. And, and he was a person of peace to me, and I was trying to pretend he wasn't because I didn't really want to disciple him. And I didn't have a person of peace, and I was in our front room praying, and I was saying, Lord, I need a person of peace. Who's my next person of peace? Yeah. And the doorbell rings and there's him. And not only is he there, he's got the you know the um, the uh, designer brand, disciple. He's got a t shirt that (laughs) says (laughs) disciple. I'm not kidding you. So I can't (laughs) do that. He just opened the door, I said, I'm literally saying, give me a person, please. Open the door. and there's I won't say his name, let that's um call him, I don't know. I'm running out of names. George, there's George. He's George. <laughs> George standing there with the disciple across his chest and goes, "All right, All right. okay, God." So what happened then was that their washing machine broke down, and I'm not very quick on these on the uptake of these things. So I said to Ellie, "They're a really poor couple." I said, "I think we should talk to some people in the church and we should buy them a the washing machine." And she said, "Are you joking?" I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Don't do that. Tell them they can use our washing machine. We'll get them in the house last week." And I tell them that they can use it between 6 and 8 when we're eating dinner. So twice a week they come around with their washing, and we'd say, Oh, we're eating, would you like to eat with us? So they're sitting around the meal table with us. They've never had uh, an experience of sitting with Christians around the meal table in their lives. And I ended up bringing George to the Lord. Yeah? And I'm not an evangelist at all. But you, you see what I'm saying? So there's a mindset. You get, you're constantly trying to, you're looking wide to start, and then you're trying to draw people into a relationship. You're trusting that if you operate with integrity, that Jesus is going to is, is going to help you to engage to people. And the commitment that you're making is just that you're going to talk about God as much as you would if you were just a Christian. So you're not trying to Bible bash them, but you're being real about your faith, and if there's a problem, you're praying about it just like you would. In culturally, you're acting as the head and not the tail. You're discipling that, which means you're drawing them into what you do rather than copying what they do, yeah? So I don't know whether that's uh, a helpful thing, but let's just have a little bit of time. We're going to finish soon. Perhaps, let's just take take a couple of minutes, talk to someone else. What would be the, the, you know, uh, do you remember I talked about uh, the time is now, the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe, the good news. Kairos time is about God getting your attention. So my question would be, of all the things I've just been throwing out there, What's the thing that God get, God's getting your attention about? What's the kairos for you uh, this afternoon? Yeah, so have a little think about it. We'll let the introverts have a think first. So have a, have a quick, quick one-minute think, and then we'll talk to each other. So what, what's the main thing? And then the second thing would be, are there any questions? And we'll have a little bit of time to, to do that. In the rhythms that we've got, and going consistency with them, So we have, uh, people, extended family, people in our home. How do we invite them into our family culture? And that something that was really helpful. And also just consistency with our, with our sort of group meets in our house in terms of, uh, we're looking for people at peace, but just bringing that accountability. I think accountability is something I'm still shy away from in terms of, Make it not feeling like it's legalistic, but actually, yeah. we want to help ourselves by what God's teaching. Very helpful. And the tip for me about accountability not being um, like um, control is we talk about a lot of freedom, we talk about high accountability, low control. That's the sweet that's spot you're looking for, isn't it? And the way that we say that is low control is this it's not your job to tell someone else what God's telling them to do. Yeah? The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They're capable of hearing what Jesus is saying to them, what the Holy Spirit's saying to them. You're, you can help them go through a process of discerning it, but fundamentally, they're the ones that need to say, this is what I think God's yeah. saying. Yeah. And then the high accountability is, once you've said what you think God's telling you to do, we hold you accountable that you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll ask you. But, and I think if you cross the line so that you're telling them what God's telling them to do, then it becomes high control. So I think that's the important thing. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Is anyone else got any questions? Thank yeah. Um, I just feel really challenged. Um, I went up, I met up with a work colleague a couple of like maybe maybe even a half a year ago now, and um, it just went really catastrophically wrong. And she basically told me she was having an affair, and it was like, she was really bragging about it and everything. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to meet up with you again. This is so hard. and I'm just trying to kind of get out of it quite quite quickly. But she keeps saying to me like, oh, let's meet up, let's meet up. It would be nice to go out again. You were so lovely and everything. And um, I've been like, oh, um, I just feel really challenged to meet up with her again. And um, I just feel like actually sometimes we really need to think about like who's in, like opening up to us who's actually saying chat to me I want to talk to you like you know and actually being open to us because I think there's a lot of people in my life that I think I'm going to really pursue that person but they're kind of quite closed person so I think sometimes it's just so joyful to hear like actually let's go with people at peace and <laughs> so that's really encouraging Good for isn't it? Yeah. yeah it can be really challenging as answer because People of peace are really going to fit into yeah. our kind of boxes of what would be an easy person. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, those are the, those of you guys that were here last time, you know, when we first start started doing this kind of stuff, the first bunch of people we got were a mixture of um, heroin addicts and prostitutes. So, that wasn't exactly what we would have chosen, but you know, it seems to be what the Lord chose. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Questions or comments or at all? Um. Well, we, we, we didn't have—we didn't—we only once had one of them actually living with us. Right. Um, uh, we, but we did lots of community with them, and you know all sorts of things. So, so I mean, um, we—what we tended to do is we tended to have um, our personal principle while we're raising our kids is um, people could stay for night, or whatever. But if people are actually living with us, uh, we were, we've only had people who really love the law of living with us. Because we feel our our primary job is to raise our kids in that environment. Uh, But we've done lots of people around the meal table with us and all that kind of stuff regularly. So coming and sharing our life, but not necessarily staying overnight um, who who don't know the Lord. Uh, I mean, during that time, the drug addicts, there's a lot of stuff where we get... I mean, I remember getting called by the police at midnight when I had to go to to work the next day when I was a teacher, and um, there's someone standing on top of a block of flats and they said they're going to throw themselves off and they'll only talk to me. You know, it's like, that's a lot, you know, here we go. You know. So I mean, it wasn't an easy time, but um, we did, and, and the person who stayed with us, one person did stay with us, was a serious self harmer And Eddie got back to work and she'd locked herself in our bathroom with all our hey, kitchen knives. And that was kind of interesting. So Eddie's knocking on the door and saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sarah, hi, um, I need to cook the tea now. Do you think we could have our knife back? You know. <laughs> But she, she ended up coming into amazing levels of healing. And when we had a living with us, we, we first, she was very depressed, she, she, that's we had a living with us. she didn't move out of her armchair for the first um, couple of weeks. She didn't want to go to bed. And, and she gradually began to thaw, thaw out and begin to, you know, um, recover a bit. And then what we did was, we had members of our missional community come to dinner with us with her, to get to know her. We did that for a few weeks. And then we asked them to invite her to go to dinner with them. And we basically got the whole official community to take responsibility for her. And so when, after about, I think it was maybe seven or eight weeks, she moved back to her uh, flat, um, she was being visited by people about four or five times a week and a level of support that went way beyond what she'd ever had before. So we would have people in with us, uh, coming in from like our family or something like that, they just, as leaders we'd do that to spearhead something, but not necessarily long term. The aim would always be, if we don't ask, our group to do something and we need to model it to them first and then ask them for that position to. I have a question and then, uh, maybe, we can, uh, uh, maybe we can just reflect on that um, I'm living in a neighborhood it's a very nice street and we're um, having contact with all the people around us They like coming to our house, and we have a a garden, and all the children are playing there. Um, But somehow it feels like we're stuck somewhere. We're talking to people about Jesus, we're sharing our faith, and um, they're very much um, doing doing this. Uh, You can't come closer than that. Um, We're praying for it, but maybe there's more. Uh, Maybe there's experience, Uh, other people have experiences with this. It's just a question. The thing for me is that you 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 don't need lots of people at peace. So it's almost like you're doing the top end of the funnel. So you've got everybody around and that's great. What you're asking God you're not necessarily asking God to give you breakthrough with all of them. What you're looking for is just one person or one couple to start with. Even Jesus just went one at a time, you know, James and John, Peter, I mean you know. I mean he had crowds all over the place and he's going up, you know. So I would my faith would be that there'll be at least one person in the next there. And often, the first-person piece you get ends up being a key that unlocks everything else. It's really weird. Like, we, we had, um, we had a, a group that was working on a really bad inner-city estate, and, um, and they weren't getting very far. They'd done lots of servant evangelism. In fact, they went out every week for about two years cutting grass and picking up litter and there was wore these red t-shirts they called themselves Red Team and they got very accepted in a general sense by that community people liked them being there but they couldn't get anybody who was interested and it was really hard and they were praying about it and they were even fasting like Lord you've got to give us somebody and then um, there was a shootout a gang shooting and it was a 14 year old boy was killed in the park it was terrible a huge tragedy for the whole community and um, his grandmother was the cocaine dealer and um and she was the one who invited them in. They found that in that tragedy, people turned to them, she invited them in, she became a Christian, and the whole community, they then saw, it's like dominoes, a whole load of people coming to So sometimes in a community, you just, you're just say Lord, give us the one person of peace. And you sometimes find that once you get one, then it's because, some, I don't know why that is, but they offer are the key to a whole load of other people. But I don't know whether that's helpful. Anyone else got any reflections on that question? Sounds like, like you've got quite a lot of time, like, sort of in the evening so. Um, I am a personal trainer, so I work until like half eight, nine o'clock at night, and my wife doesn't normally get back until about like, half seven, eight as well. Have you got any advice on like how you build it into maybe a slightly like, more like I've got loads of time during the day, so like nine till five, I'm like pretty much off. So I work mornings to evening. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to do a lot on my own, but. As a couple, we don't really have the other part. yeah, time I think well. I don't think you need bags of time. But what I do think you need is I think you need a predictable pattern of at least one family space a week that you can predictably have that other people could come and join you in. I think if you can have more, great. But if you've got that you that to me it's like that's a foundation that's in place that then some other things. So whether it's at the weekend or whether it's some other time But I think you need something at some point in the week that you can begin to invite people in. And I think part of going across sometimes is that sometimes you have to make some sacrifices to get that. But I I don't think you have to have, like, five nights a week or whatever. We were fortunate at that time because my job was during the day and then later in the evening as a church leader. I was out at seven or eight. Usually eight meetings would start. So so we used the window that we had. So I was busy, but the sacrifice was... I didn't want to be doing that then. I wanted to be resting, but that's the, you know, for us that was the time. So I think it's finding at least one time. And then it may be that, um, you know, uh, there's opportunities during the day that you're looking for. It may be that um, it's during the day if she's working, it's not your wife, But maybe that you're saying, is there at least one other person I can find who could stand with me during the day as we're reaching out to some other people with that, a similar lifestyle, you know. So that might be another question as <coughs> well. Yeah, Anyone else? I'm just aware I've just gone past four, so... Um, uh, Perhaps, um, probably we need to stop so that you guys can all have a rest before the super. So I'll, I'll wait around. If you want to talk more, um, I'll just wait around. For, we might get, yesterday we got them coming in because there was another group coming in, didn't we? But um, we'll wait around until we get kicked out. Yeah. So okay I'd, I'd be, to sorry? We're okay till 5 We're okay till five. So I'll wait around if you want to talk more. Um, but probably need to release you guys now, don't I? So uh, thank nice. you. <laughs>